0: All right, well, good afternoon. Let's go ahead and pray uh, one more time before we uh, get started. Please uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you yet again uh, that we get to walk through your word. We thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us, uh, for showing us who you are, for revealing your mercy in the person and work of Jesus Christ that then leads, Lord, to a change in us a a change in our disposition father to where we now show mercy father would you teach us would you instruct us and would this be to the glory of your name in jesus name amen Amen. let's go ahead we'll turn um to matthew 5 7 but much like last week we will be jumping um you know kind of all over the place um with an ultimate plan in mind, but I guess the point is we'll be looking at a lot of different scripture. Um, we read in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So we have before us in this beatitude, um, you know, um, a, I guess a, a particular term, uh, merciful or showing mercy um, that many may approach as a works-based opportunity. Much like the last one, right? Um, you know, hunger and thirsting after righteousness. They think that if they do that, uh, they will be satisfied, that they will be okay. So here too, many people think that as long as they show mercy, then they will be shown mercy. Um, but, that, uh, but what we must understand is that is not what we're looking at here. We're not necessarily looking at acts of mercy um, but we're looking at more of a word that is descriptive of who we are, specifically merciful. Um, it's, it's, it's in its adjectival form, um, which would be descriptive of someone's disposition now, not just the things that they do. Um, notice what we don't read here is, Blessed are those who show mercy, for they will be shown mercy. Instead, it's blessed are the merciful. It's not referring to necessarily showing acts of mercy in and of themselves. Um, And that makes sense, right? The world that surrounds us can show acts of mercy at times, right? They can do things that would be considered kind and compassionate and so forth. But does that necessarily make them merciful in their disposition? You see, Christ, again, is not concerned with these mere externalities of how we look outwardly, whether you know, we're just showing and doing these works or these acts of mercy. But really, this word here um, describes a fundamental change in who we are. Uh, much like what we saw with meekness. It's a change in our disposition, which now, because of what Christ has done, this is who we are. This disposition is quite at odds with the natural man and the world around us. I'm sure we know, right? They like to receive mercy, um, but they don't often like to show mercy. Uh, They want mercy shown to them, but they never or they rarely ever desire to show it to others. And so what I want to consider this morning, just as we walk through this, is why should we be merciful Um, How is it that our disposition changes so drastically? And then what does it look like to be merciful? And this is key, right? What is it about our disposition that is different than previously? And so the way that I want to do this is look at the definition of mercy under basically the three Greek words that we're going to be primarily interacting with just to keep those in mind and see how they kind of flow through Scripture and who they are spoken about and uh, so forth. Then I want to look at God's self-proclamation about who he is. Um, What I hope to do and hope to make clear is kind of shining a spotlight, as it were, on God's nature and then how he revealed his nature in the person and work of Christ. And then finally, looking at what the implications are for us then? What impact does that have on our day-to-day? And then finally, um, if we have time, we'll look at the blessing. Why are the merciful blessed? Um, So let's go ahead and uh, dive in. So the definition of mercy, I'm going to try to keep all of this on the board at the same time. So we can hopefully clearly see all the way through what we're dealing with. The word used in Matthew 5, 7 for merciful is Aleemon. Okay? Um, Aleemon. it's an adjective, so it's descriptive of one's, being, their condition. What we actually see in the Greek, it means being concerned about people in their need, merciful, sympathetic, compassionate. So you can see that this describes one's, like, their their condition now. It's who they are. They are merciful. The next word we see, or that we'll interact with, is us," And this is the noun form of the word, so this, in a sense, is what we will have, okay, to show to others. And then finally, the last word that I want us to look at is holiskamai And believe it or not, this word has a couple different meanings, which we'll get to later, but at its core, it would be to propitiate. So these are the words that we'll be working through that at least for me as I prepared, I was um, amazed to see where we found them, who they applied to, and then what it means for us. The key word in aleos, by the way, is it's, again, you're going to find that this is all the same meaning. There's concern, there's compassion, there's pity, there's mercy, right? Right? But it's we're just dealing with different forms of the the verb, or 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 the action, and so in this case the great or the distinguishing word here in aleos is that it's expressed. It's not just a state of having or being merciful. There's now then an expression of that mercy that is shown forth. So merciful um, relates to our disposition, but mercy relates to our actions towards others. It's not merely kindness. It's not just being kind to someone, and that's mercy. It, there's, there's a lot more that's conveyed uh, behind this word, much like meekness wasn't just being humble or just being gentle, right? It was a combination of all of these things. What we find with mercy is that it contains kindness, but it's not only kindness. Mercy involves meeting people in their need and then seeking, if possible, to relieve that need. Um, You could say that it's seeking to relieve the miserable conditions that one may be in as a result of being in a sinful world or simply as a result of sin, which is what we ultimately see Christ do for us. So I want to look at... um, what I would call, I guess, God's nature. How he reveals himself. Um, We are talking about, as Emilio had pointed out that first week, right? He defined it as like the ethics of the kingdom. And therefore, who better to look at than the king himself? And then who he reveals himself in. So let's go ahead and turn to Exodus 34. And we'll look at verses 6 through 7. Would somebody like to read those verses? Landon, go ahead. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Mm-hmm. So what we see here is God's self proclamation about who he is in his very being. Right? And what does he say? Verse six He abounds in loving kindness. In the Septuagint, you know what word is used for loving kindness? So verse 6, it's elemon. This word that we're dealing with in Matthew 5-7. So what we're going to start to see take shape is that because of what we have in Jesus Christ, we are now called to start taking on His nature. So we see God describes Himself as loving-kindness or abounding in loving-kindness or abounding in mercifulness. This is who He is at His core. He is merciful. And therefore, look at verse 7, right? Verse 7 then goes and says, who keeps loving-kindness for thousands. The Greek word in the Septuagint there in verse 7, aleos. It's what He has stored up For thousands. And notice, it is not for everybody. So, this is specifically referring, I think, to Christ. The mercy that he has, he will reveal in Christ. And we'll walk through this. So, what we see here is he describes that he is merciful. And therefore, if you are merciful, if that is your disposition, then you will, by default, have mercy to show to others. You see, compared to the world where they can have acts of mercy and do merciful things at times, but not at their core be truly merciful. This is a change that comes after we've been completely transformed by Christ, by the Spirit working in us. So how has God shown forth His mercy Sending his son, that's right. So we see it comes through Jesus Christ, right? But I want to look at um, Luke one seventy six through seventy eight, and then uh, Titus three four through seven, I believe. So let's turn over to Luke one. 76, and I want to start there just to, I guess, get the full context picture and so forth. Would somebody like to read, um, what did I say, 7 through 78, actually through 79, sorry, 76 through 79. Sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death mm. to guide our feet. The word of That's right. So, what do we see here? John the Baptist is going to go. That's who Zechariah is prophesying about. What he's going to do. Zechariah is going to go, and this is what he's going to basically pro- proclaim. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord in order to give to his people, God's people, the knowledge of salvation. By the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Or because of what? The tender mercy of God. Okay? And that word that we see? us. Okay, so the mercy of God is being then shown forth through sending His Son. And you want a great picture of what mercy looks like? Look at what this says. With which... So the mercy of God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. This is speaking of Christ. And so we have here, much like Emilio even preached on last week, the light breaking into the darkness. The light breaking into time and um, bringing redemption. It says to shine upon those who sit in darkness. If that's not describing a miserable condition, I don't know what is, unless you were to add the next statement to it, which is, and in the shadow of death. So they're in darkness. They're in the shadow of death. And God, because of his mercy that he has stored up for thousands, sends his son, sends the light to break into darkness so that we would be saved and forgiven of our sins. Along those same lines, let's look at Titus 3. Four through and I um, I guess four through six works. Um, anybody like to read that? Chris, you got that? Thanks. It says but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Mm-hmm. By the walking of weak of the so notice again the same word used in titus as well speaking of the mercy of god and how it is shown forth you have uh our savior um you have him appearing right and us being saved based on his works right but notice here it says whom he poured out out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, or what was poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the mercy of God towards sinners. Next we have, now we see the nature of God as being merciful and showing mercy and sending His Son. Let's look at Jesus Christ and how he came then and showed forth the Father. Because that's what he did, is he revealed the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So let's see what he did in both his life and his death. Anybody have any questions so far up to this point? Any comments? Got it. Christ in his life um, displayed active compassion towards those who suffered, right? His mercy wasn't merely just even necessarily going to the cross, although that that was the greatest mercy, right? But he lived out a life of mercy. Let's go ahead and look at um, Mark 10, starting with... uh, verse 46 and we'll go uh, on this one through verse 52 anybody like to read that okay Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Oh, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Mm. And so we see here, I believe, both a, a physical mercy um, being shown in what manner he regained his sight, right? Um, and I believe also um, spiritual in this case that I believe, you know, Bartimaeus at this time was then saved. He's crying out for mercy. Um, you see these, this, this imagery of where he throws off his cloak and all the things that you can kind of connect to that. Um, but what is amazing here is that he knew where to look for mercy. He knew this was his, his opportunity, if you will, to be shown mercy. Um, Christ was passing by, and it's like they're telling him, be quiet, stop doing it, right? And it's like he cries out all the more. He knows like this is his only hope. And um, Christ doesn't say, well, I'm busy or I've got a place I have to get to or I got all these things, right? I'm tired. But time and time again, what we see with Christ is that he stops what he's doing for others asking for mercy or he's willingly showing mercy. You may not see the word mercy shown or, or, or actually said, but by his actions, that's what you see being demonstrated. Um, anything else come to mind in that regard? I'll start it off, okay? The woman who had the continual bleeding, right? Um, She is reaching out. Crowds are pressing in around him. Very easy to say, no, no, no. And he addresses the need. You guys got anything else? The woman at the well. And her need, her true need, her spiritual need, right? Um, the man by the, beside the pool of Bethesda, right? Um, the pot- potentially, um, depending upon how you look at that. <laughs> um, but also you see it with the feeding of the 5,000, the 4,000, right? I mean, you see continually from Christ... Acts of mercy. Why? What's that? That's right. At the core of who he is, he is merciful. It's as if there's nothing else he can do because that is who he is. And that would be the same with us that we have been shown mercy, right? And there should be nothing else. Like we should have just, we, like we read here, it's as if he had mercy stored up for thousands, right? He keeps it for thousands and then shows it forth. We should be merciful. And because of what Christ has done, I'm going to keep coming back to this through this because this is the impetus for why we should be merciful. Because of the example he set, who he was, what he did, we too should be ready to show mercy. What's the other way in which he showed mercy? Ultimate mercy, right? His death. What's interesting and what kind of guided me towards this direction as far as looking at this passage was that this word, Aleemon, is found in one other place in the New Testament. Does anybody know where? Hebrews two seventeen. Let's turn over to Hebrews two seventeen. read this one here. Hebrews 2.17, we read this. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So there's a couple things going on here. One, that word merciful is exactly what we see described in Matthew 5 7. And it's exactly what we see mentioned of God's nature and who he is here. And we see it mentioned of who Christ was ultimately in his high priestly office. So, what's the point? The point is who should we be like? When we are merciful, who, in a sense, are we being like? That's right. We are taking on that nature. We're being conformed to his image. What is also interesting, at least in this passage, is it says merciful and faithful. If we think back to Exodus 34, 6, and 7, when it says he abounds in loving kindness and truth, we've already established that that loving kindness is merciful. So he abounds in mercifulness. And that word truth, if you have an ESV, you'll notice that it says faithfulness. So God abounds in mercifulness and truth, or mercifulness and faithfulness. And what do we read about Christ? Right, he's merciful and faithful. So Christ is, as we read in Hebrews 1, the exact representation of his nature. That's what we see in Christ. But that's not all that we see here. We also read of how our merciful and faithful high priest showed forth his mercy. We see here it says, he had to be made like his brethren so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For what purpose? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. That word that is used here for propitiation is Heliskamai means to propitiate, uh, to expiate. You know what's phenomenal about this word? It means to remove all impediments to deity. Meaning that through his work, he removed everything that kind of blocked our way to God. You know where we see this word in one other place as well? Not 1 John. We've referenced this passage of Scripture multiple weeks in this series of studies. Let's turn to Luke 18. Luke 18. Luke 18. We've referenced the Pharisee and the tax collector and this example of one who was trusting in themselves, and then versus the tax collector who recognized his sin. He had a proper understanding of who he was. Does this sound like anything that we've. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They mourn their condition. He looks outside himself and says to God, Be merciful to me, the sinner. You know what word is used here for be merciful? You probably have it in the margin of your Bible. If you look, it'll say uh, there'll be a mark for be merciful or for merciful, it'll be be propitious. This is the only other place that that word is used in Scripture. And it's when the tax collector cries out for mercy. Is that not like for me when I was studying this, Right? I'm like, this, you know, we know these things. We know what Christ has done. But when I got around it and thought about, well, be merciful or blessed are the merciful, well, why should we be merciful? Look at the mercy that was shown to Christ in his propitiating work as our high priest. And then ask yourselves, how can we not be merciful? At the end of the day, when we look at what Christ has done for us, Oh, this should lead to a dispositional change in us. Now, it's a growing disposition, right? So I don't want to present it as like, okay, we're saved and then we're merciful, like right out of the gate, like the most merciful we're ever going to be, right? There is a growth in being merciful. There's an understanding. The more that we understand what he did for us, oh, the more mercy we're going to have towards others and we see this now this leads to the implications for us you know this this then le- you see that it's god reveals himself who he is basically by speaking to moses and telling him this is who i am he then reveals himself in the person and work of christ who is merciful and shows mercy both physically and then spiritually in his death, therefore it should lead to how then we live out our daily life. So let's go ahead. Um, anybody have an idea of the type of implications that an understanding of what Christ has done, the mercy that he has shown us, what that should ultimately lead to? There's, I have three things that I plan on walking through. What do you guys got? Go ahead. I just can't help but think, Brian, that maybe I'm wrong, but um, he was always going about, and then he was stopped to come alongside and help. And how mm. often, maybe for myself anyway, are like one track mind, go go go, mm. and we don't take that time to really stop and be merciful in those situations. So I don't know what the. Verse That's. Physically stopping and That's right. I'll go out of, I'm glad you brought that up because it was the third in my list, but we don't have to go in order. No, it's good. That is good because that is exactly what it is. I would call it loving our neighbor. Or in a sense, bearing one another's burdens. There's an example given to us. A parable, right? In Luke, I believe. Luke 10, if we want to turn there. Um, Starting with verse 30. That I believe speaks to exactly what you're speaking of. Not not only, I mean, we can look at Christ's life and see all the times that he did what you described. But here we have a parable given uh, that speaks of exactly what you're saying. So let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 30. It says this, Jesus replied and said, right? This is somebody trying to justify himself, saying, well, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I should love? Right, and he says, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And then what did he do? It wasn't just a feeling. He actually acted it out, right? Right there on the spot, what does he do? He came up to him, bandaged, bandaged him up, uh, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And then he puts him on his own beast and took him to the end so that he could be taken care of. But it does, like, that's, that's extraordinary, right? Uh, but it wasn't just that. He stays with them. Then the next day it says, he took out two denarii, which would be two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Think of that. He has carte blanche to like take care of this guy. It's not, okay, when that runs out, like, you know, put him on his way, I've done enough. It's whatever else you spend in his needs, let me know when I get back, and we'll true up the tab. That's phenomenal, right? And it says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the the guy says, he said, "The, the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. There is an example here in which it's exactly that, that we should be merciful, ready to show mercy when the needs present themselves. And they present themselves in different forms and fashions at different times, like you never know when it's going to arise, but like you said, you're ready and willing to stop. Um. So that's I agree with that. That's good. Um, how about another one? Yeah. About, uh, evangelistic sense, that's right. Showing, because we've been shown this mercy, we want to share with others. That's right. I I said caring. Four souls. That's exactly right. When we've been shown this great mercy, and we know what people are going to face and what's ahead for them, and we know the mercy that can be found in Jesus Christ because of what he has done, how do we not share with people the gospel, the good news? That is the most, that is the most merciful thing we can do it is not just, oh, take care of their physical needs. Christ certainly did that. But he was always concerned with take care of the spiritual need. That was his primary focus. That was what was behind all of his teaching was ultimately the spiritual condition or the spiritual hope or the spiritual need of people. And we got one more, at least one more. I got one more. I would say forgiveness Let's turn to Matthew 18, if we can. We're going to read. It's a long passage, but um, we're going to start in verse 21. Um, So this is, uh, I know that some of you may not be able to see it based on here, but uh, Matthew 18, and we're going to start verse 21 through... 35 and i want to read the whole of the passage to truly convey what is being shown here in a parable form but he's telling us the kingdom of heaven is like okay so this is this is an example of uh, the way that we should be peter says this in verse 21 then peter came up and said to him lord how often shall my brother sin against me and i forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy-seven or seventy times seven. And he says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts uh, with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and his children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. And so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. We're going to continue on, but just to kind of break down what we're seeing here. Uh, to put some context around it as it were, scholarly literature would put the conversion rate of denarii to talents at 6,000 to 1. Okay? So a denarii, as probably many know, is one day's wage. So look at what's being said here. Based on this, it would be 60 million work days to pay off this type of debt. Um, even if you were paying back 10 talents a year, which is phenomenal to be able to do, it would take you at least 1,000 years to pay that back. If you look in the margin of your Bibles, you probably have a reference that a talent as well is like more than 15 years, one talent, more than 15 years wages. Okay? So I did the simple math for me and said, if that's the case, 10,000 times 15 is 150,000 years of wages owed. Okay. Do you get the picture? What does this sound like? Impossible, right? It, it sounds like the weight of sin that we had against God, right? Now, if you assume a 75-year lifespan, that would mean 2,000 lifetimes of paying off that debt. Not possible, right? Not happening, And what is amazing here is that he even pleaded with him, I'll pay you back. I'll do this. And, and, and the individual says, no, no, no. The debt's wiped clean, gone, propitiated in some sense. It's been fully removed. And that is what Christ has done for us. But notice this. This should have made him then from that great debt being removed, very merciful. But here's what we read. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Notice the debt? A hundred denarii? How much was a denarii? A day's wage. wage. So he owed him a little over three months worth of wages. And you would think, okay, well, I was just forgiven 2,000 lifetimes, right? I can surely forgive and wipe clean and not even require anything of this man what is the equivalent of three months' wages, right? You would think that that would be the case. But what happened, it says, And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground. Now this should sound very familiar to him. His fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling. And threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if, you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So we have been forgiven. We should therefore not only forgive, but I mean, it's just an aspect of showing mercy. This is one aspect of being merciful. And what we see here is the idea even com, com, um, shown in James 2.13. What you, you see happen to this individual is for the judgment, Right now, he's now standing before his Lord. He's facing judgment. It says, For judgment will be merciless to those or to the one who has shown no mercy. We see that play out with this individual right here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we see, we have to realize when people sin against us, it is like the denarii, it is so small and minuscule. Are we prepared to be ready and willing to forgive? We should be. So what do we see in all of this ultimately? We see God's nature of being merciful, shown forth in Christ who was merciful, through his death showing us mercy. Therefore, we should be merciful. Therefore, we should be willing to die to ourselves just as Christ did for us for the sake of others. It's going to come at inopportune times, right? It's going to come at times when we're really we like, really right now, like this is happening? (laughs) Like, I have this I have to go do. And we have to ask ourselves, are we prepared to die to ourselves and address the need at hand? And this goes right along with what we've been looking at, right? If you want to follow the Beatitudes here, it's blessed are the poor in spirit, right? So you have one who has seen his need, He has mourned that condition. He has been made meek. And then he's looked outside himself to one who gave him righteousness, to one who has shown him mercy in the person of Christ, and now as a result, takes on the nature of the king and is merciful. That is ultimately what we're doing, is that we are being conformed more and more to his image, to his likeness. And that ultimately comes to fruition in the life to come. So, why is this one who shows mercy blessed? Is it a thing now? Are we have we been shown mercy now? It's a, it's right. We've been talking about this already. Not yet aspect, and I still think it applies here. So, and how have we been shown mercy now in that sense? That's right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That right now, the world around us, what is hanging over them right now? Wrath and judgment. There's condemnation hanging over them. But in Christ right now, our impediments have been removed. And we have peace with God. We have access to God. We have access to our high priest. So even now, like we've received that mercy, we've received blessing. But what about future? What is truly amazing is that there's an ultimate mercy to be shown in that last day. Jude reminds us in verses 20 and 21 if you want to turn there of Jude We read this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, here's what we're to do. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So we have mercy that has been shown to us now. We have mercy in that day of judgment that will be shown to us then, that then leads to eternal life. That is the mercy, eternal life. Um, much like, you know, we just read in James where it's like it's gonna, there's not going to be any mercy shown. But what we truly see in that day for us, mercy triumphs over judgment. That is phenomenal. That we have nothing to dread now. And therefore, when we interact with others, the way we go through this life, we should be merciful. Any comments or questions? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we should be doing that right he's forgiven us how are we going to turn around and be like no i'm not going to show that to you right Mm. Yeah. And that's what ties in, right, to James 2:13. He's not going to forgive them like you're saying, and that means therefore that no mercy will be shown. They have no they truly have no hope in that sense. Um, says, you know, brother. Yeah. All right, well let's go uh let's go worship.